Carolina. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan. Got Mr. Brian Terry right here by the side. And between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing folks all around the country and all around town. Even all around the world with the right codes. Wherever you may be calling (laughs) from. That's right. We got Mark Wadham in London, England is a fairly regular call. Of course, John John Reed, Canada. Uh Uh-huh. So international there you go international <laughs> show how about that that's right and of course anywhere you go i guess in the world there are cars oh. and wherever there are cars there are problems <laughs> well that, <laughs> with, that, with, be, yeah with those cars it kind of comes along with it and you know, really and truly i had a guy who was asking well why do cars have so many problems said, well if you think about it parts you have anywhere between Twenty thousand and a hundred thousand parts on a car, depending on how you count parts. Sure, I mean, is a radio one part is three hundred parts that make it up. And when you got, let's say, two hundred thousand components, and you have what a half a one percent failure rate, which is pretty darn good quality, you're still going to have a lot of failures. Yeah, and when you consider the way most vehicles are operated, it's not ideal conditions. Even a person who takes care of their car. It's really not operating under ideal conditions. Your guy was saying, why does the air conditioner always go out in cars? And I got a refrigerator at home that's 25 years old. Well, you got to remember that refrigerator is sitting there in a climate controlled environment. Still. Yeah. No vibration. Still. No vibration. Nothing beating around. 100% control. In other words, the box gets to a certain temperature. A relay closes, turns the compressor on. It brings it back down to the proper temperature. It's allowed to fully cycle. Then it shuts off and it sits there and waits for that cycle to recur. But in an automobile, you go and the car is parked out in the hot sun. It's 150 degrees in there. You (laughs) crank it up. That you expect it to be ice cold as soon as it comes out. 70 degrees in three seconds. Right. And so this compressor kicks on. It's trying to move all this heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It running wide open. And then you reach over and you just turn the switch off. Boom. Well, then you crank it back up and yank. Most big home units and industrial units, if you cut the compressor off, there's a delay built in there where it won't come back on for a certain, certain amount of time. Yeah. It has to equalize. The pressures on the two sides have to equalize. The oil has to settle out. If not, you run the risk of damaging the system. Sure. And all these things, this no vibration, sitting perfectly still, controlled environment, operated in ideal conditions, is why a home appliance may last a long, long time. An automobile does not have that luxury. No. It is bouncing down a road. It's being operated improperly many times under just the harshest, unbelievable conditions. When you really think about it, there are few things around as reliable as a car. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just they do a really, really good job with that. And I thought we'd talk maybe just a little bit about that. We Every week, I guess, we beat on maintenance and just sure. the different stuff. And because our whole philosophy is not so much repairing things that are broken, but trying to preempt the breaking process. Exactly. If you can go in and stop something that is going to cause a failure before, then it's much less expensive than repairing it after it's happened. Sort of like a human being, if you are maybe smoking or drinking or whatever these higher risk activities maybe you're several pounds overweight you can wait until you have a heart attack and go in and try to do open heart surgery or heart transplant or whatever or you can address some of these things right now lose some weight start to exercise cut back or stop smoking cut back on your drinking what have you 
lower those factors and, and lower the risk lower the risk and maybe you don't have to go through the procedure of the operation and all that very much the same on an automobile it is you can go in and you can lower a lot of these factors and therefore you can avoid the operation or the repair you know and it's just a much less expensive way of trying to do things and i had an email this week a gentleman you know i was listening to your show and it seems to me that a lot of problems or what he call his term is self-inflicted okay and i kind of like that term because it does apply in many cases sure you're doing maintenance to try to reduce your risk but what is very important is that you know what you're doing and you do it properly Cor- correctly because you can self-inflict problems sure. you can create sure, very easily a problem that would not have existed other than the fact that something was done improperly a couple of weeks ago on the show, we had a gentleman, and he said, I've got a transmission, and it's it's gone this far without being maintained, and I'm really scared to get it serviced because it might go out. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my initial reply to him is a proper service cannot ever hurt your transmission, and it may very well extend the life of it. Now, it can't undo what has happened in the past. It can't undo the 200,000 miles without a service. Right. Whatever has happened has happened. But it may prevent a few or less than the chances of a future problem. He said, well, I had one service and it went out. Okay, well, let's look at that and see what's going on. How far did you go before? So, well, 200,000 miles. Well, the service didn't make it go out. 200,000 miles exactly. without the service made it go out. Right. And it just but, happened it was service right before it went out. That's right. Now, the other side of the coin is you got to remember when I'm saying service, I'm talking about a proper service. Correct. So the way we do where you go in, you are removing the pan, draining the fluid, putting a quality filter on, changing the seal on the filter, torquing the valve body bolts where it's necessary, putting the proper fluid in the right amount, putting it all back together properly. That's a proper service. Right. Now, you can very easily have that same unit serviced improperly by using a flush. Yeah, you could go in and flush the unit, create more problems that could. Could very well take it out. Well, you're running clean fluid through a dirty transmission. You're dumping it back in the pan. You're stirring up the trash that's in the pan. It's sucking up the filter. The filter's already restricted. Now you further restrict it. The pressure drops. You burn transmission up. Exactly. Well, yeah, you could do it that way. Another thing that might be done is you could go in, replace the filter, and tear the seal and not notice you've done it, put it back together. Well, now it's drawing air in around the top of the seal, and so it's starting to aerate the fluid. Well, again, you could cause the transmission to go out. Yep. You could go in, knock a wire off a solenoid, and it would quit shifting. Even though it's not really technically a transmission failure, you have created right. a problem. You would still have to go back into it to repair it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could use the wrong fluid in it. You may take a late-model Toyota that requires, and when I say requires, I don't mean suggest, it requires ws right world standard very specific synthetic fluid dump dex three in a cheap fluid from a parts store right. and cause the transmission to fail or even dump the wrong toyota fluid back in if you toyota put, has four or five different fluids well, you got t4 which is their one they use for years you've got dex three on some of the really old ones and right. you got the ws for sure if you put the wrong fluid in yeah i mean there's nothing that you can't self-inflict mm-hmm. and cause a problem so when we say you can't ever hurt it with a proper service, is exactly what we mean. But that right. is with a proper service. Proper being the key word. Proper being the key word done right. There is nothing that you can do, whether it's totally ignore it or go in and do something wrong, it can't create a problem. Sure. 
I mean, you can kill it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, but that falls under the genre of a self-inflicted problem. Mm-hmm. Another problem we see is I had a gentleman one time come in with a little Toyota, and he had his neighbor replace the spark plugs in it. Okay. And I'm not sure exactly what he did. If maybe he forgot to tighten one of the plugs down, maybe he put never seize on the base of the plug. Whatever reason, the plug unscrewed back out of the head. Okay. Now, this was on a Toyota, and because the coal pack is bolted down on top of the plug, it couldn't physically come out. But what it was doing is it was every time the compression of the engine hit, it would push the plug up. Of course, on the intake stroke, it would suck it back down. So it beat that hole out in that aluminum head. Right. It started missing. First, it wasn't really missing that bad, just making kind of a funny noise. And he didn't really equate that as a problem, so he kept, kept driving. on driving it. And what happened is that this plug destroyed the cylinder head. All the debris from the cylinder head fell into in. the cylinder, which technically wiped the engine out. Right. Now, again, is that a failure? No, no not, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's a self-inflicted wound. Right. In that had it was done it, improperly. Had it been done properly, this never would have occurred. And, of course, we see that where someone will put the wrong spark plug in. Sure. And there are many different types of spark plugs. Two different some, seats. Some have a gasket-type seat. Some have a flat seat. Some have a wedge seat. All these different things. If you put the wrong one in there, or even the threads, it may screw down into that hole. But if you got to kind of force it in there because the threads are wrong, right? one's a 1.25 metric thread and the other one point five oh metric thread well they're pretty close and they will technically screw in there yeah, with enough force it'll go in there but it's probably not going to stay in and when you take it out again you're going to take the threads out with it right so again not really a breakdown not really neglect just a self-inflicted self-inflicted wound that's it <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey we could talk more about that and a whole lot more give us a call 291-6901 Take the highway, that's the best. You can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match. Yes, as I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Mate? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At AGCO, you can. Take your car to AGCO once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Ah, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tune Tools, we try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we're going to our phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are y'all? Doing, Doing great, great, sir. I have a question. I bought a 08 Tundra a mm-hmm. few months ago. Okay. It had 91,000 miles on it. I drove it for about 3,000 miles. Everything seemed to be working just fine. I decided I was going to, it'd be a good time to go ahead and change the transmission fluid because mm-hmm. I didn't know whether it had been done before. So I brought it to the dealer and they did it. When I got it back, occasionally 
when I'm driving at slower speeds, like driving through the neighborhood, the gear should shift, had been shifting at around 1,700 RPM. Okay. Well, every now and again, again, at these low speeds, it will shift at about 2,200, 2,300 RPM. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I brought it back, thinking maybe they didn't fill it with a proper amount of fluid, and they checked it, and they said that it was a little overfilled, and they took some out, gave it back to me, and it's still doing it occasionally. Mike, that is not likely going to be a problem in the transmission that is more likely going to be something external see that transmission is 100 percent controlled from the outside electronically there's the only thing the shift the transmission does is it physically makes a shift and as it goes from one to two to three to four however many gears you got but the timing of all of that is on the outside and it's going to have what they call a transmission control module that has adaptive learn and it's the only thing they may have done is if they disconnected the battery or something they could have lost the shift adapts and it hasn't relearned all that yet that could interfere with that more likely it's got a sensor somewhere on the outside with a glitch in it and it may not be setting a check engine light yet because it's still reading but if it's reading improperly it's going to influence the shift for instance that could be something like the airflow meter getting dirty and what happens with an airflow meter is it's measuring the amount of air going into the engine it uses that to calculate how much load is on the engine now if it thinks there is more air going in than it is because the little corona wire is dirty then it thinks you're down on the gas more than you are so it's going to delay the shift to make more power i know that's kind of involved and all but that's the way it works it looks at about 15 different sensors to determine when to make the shift and And as long as it's working in the range it's still going to think it that the sensor is okay right until it gets out of the ranges before will it turn the check engine light correct in other words if the airflow meter is still reading and it's reading a little bit off until it gets out of a range it'll eventually turn the check engine light on but if it's still in the range but it's reading a little off it doesn't know that all it knows is that hey Hey, it's got more load on the engine so delay the shift to make more power the guy wants power you see, it's, it's looking at like throttle position. It's looking at intake vacuum. It's looking at airflow. It's looking at coolant temperatures. It's looking at all these different things. If any one of those sensors is slightly out of range, then it's going to delay the shift or speed the shift up. And the whole thing is constantly learning how the driver drives. So if you change the way you drive or mm-hmm. in my case, my wife drives my truck most of the time. When I get in it, I notice that, wait a minute, it's not shifting like it's supposed to. Well, that's because she has a different driving style than I do. Mm-hmm. So the transmission doesn't shift correctly, what I would think the shift well, correctly. Well, shift the same. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I tell you where we see that, too, sometimes if you got a, a teenage son, <laughs> I'm not yeah. poking, he gets in there, he puts the thing to the floor several times, where he says, okay, I want to delay the shifts because I want to make more power. And it's going to learn that. And then it's going to take several drive cycles to go to back to the way it was. Right. I mean, these are just several explanations for what it was. I wouldn't think anything in servicing and transmission could have caused that. I mean, anything is possible. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think anything would have caused that. Okay. So if it's not a transmission issue, it would be a, well, you did mention something about it learns how you drive. Correct. Correct. Now, I, for example, when I get up on the interstate and mm-hmm. I accelerate you know, quickly, right. it seems to work just fine right. in, under those situations. Mm-hmm. But then I, when I get back home and I'm driving through the neighborhood at you know 25 miles an hour, right. that's the issue. So, but you see what happened is when you get on the interstate and you accelerate hard, it says, okay, this guy wants to make power. And it starts to stick that into the calculations. Especially if you got on the interstate a couple times. You know, you got on at one exit, got off later on, and then got back on the same way. It's learning that driving style. Right. It's saying, okay, let's make more power. More power means delaying the shift. Now, when you get out and you start driving slow, it's 
still it's got to a, relearn that, and it's got hundreds and hundreds of data points in there. It's not going to average out immediately. Now, if you drive all in town, it's probably going to straighten out, and it ain't going to do that because okay. it's going to learn. Okay. So it's just if, as you drive it, it's going to learn how you drive. Right. And okay. Well, that makes sense because I do quite a bit of you know, some days I'm in town, some days I'm right. out of town. And right. it's, it's, the, it's the change, right. you see, and it's trying to average all this out. It's trying to do the best it can, but it's two completely different drive styles. So it may delay the shift on a slow drive. It just hadn't learned yet, okay, this is slow, this is fast. It can't immediately change. It has to average it. Okay, I got so, it. Yeah, if it, All right. I mean, if it really bugs you, what you might try is next time you get in the just kind of accelerate slowly and see if it doesn't clear up. In other words, drive more or less the same way both instances, see if it goes away. If it is, that's what it is. It's just a normal function of the vehicle. Or, you know, if you want more power, you can just accelerate hard all the time, and it's going to shift later. It's right. just going to burn a lot more gas. Right. That's why you know, I tell people all the time, they'll say, well, how can I save gas? Change your drive style. You know, there's nothing you can do with the car. There's no kind of chip or no kind of this or that or the other. Right. There's more you can put in or change that. But by changing your drive style, even occasionally getting down on it pretty hard, is going to throw that into the calculations. That's going to raise all those shift points. It's going to do a lot of things that makes power because that's what it wants to do. Beyond that, some of them have a button, economy, power. You, know, you mm-hmm. can switch that back and forth. And what that does, that tells the computer, I'm more concerned with economy, I'm more concerned with power. So it changes the calculations even further. If, I don't know if yours has that or not. I know a lot of them no. do. No, it doesn't. Okay. Okay. Well, that renews my mind a little bit. I was <laughs> that, that, you, know, you never know when you buy a used vehicle. That's right. right. And see, so, so. it's probably not a problem at all, particularly if the dealership didn't tell you, hey, we found a bunch of metal in the pan or anything when they serviced it. It's probably not a problem with transmission. It's probably just the adaptive learns. The only other thing that could contribute, if for some reason they disconnected the battery, when you disconnect the battery, you clear the memory. So now it starts learning again. Fewer data From points zero. means more extreme changes. Right. All right. Well, I appreciate the help. All right, Thanks, man. Bye. All right, Mike. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. You got a question or a comment? Give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Glad to try to help you out. There you go. Should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. Always glad to get you an answer back and try to help you out. And, of course, even better, just call us on the show line. That's it. That's why we do the show every Saturday morning. <laughs> and we were talking a little bit about self-inflicted injuries and, and things that happen to cars and mm-hmm. so on and so forth as that. And, I mean, in a perfect world, you could take your car into a shop and everything would be done perfect every time. But as you and I know, it's not always that way. Some shops do work that they're really not qualified or trained to do. Some of them, the guy doing the work maybe wasn't qualified, or maybe he's just having a bad day. Who knows? Right. Things do go wrong. And when you service the car yourself, something Things may can... seem very simple, but when you don't know a lot about something, it's going to seem very, very simple. Sure. Anything that seems extremely simple on a car, be very cautious, <laughs> because nothing is simple no, on a car. No, it's not. Not Every, anymore. It's sort of like changing the coolant in your car, which is something I want to talk about, because that's an area where right. people really self-inflict. Nothing could seem simpler. Right. Just dump, dump your coolant and dump some more in, right? Yeah, that's Except what you would that think. there are dozens and dozens of things that can be done wrong, be done improperly, that can create bigger, much bigger problems. Much bigger problems than you'd had maybe if you hadn't done it at all. Let's go back to our phone lines with Al. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Yes, sir. I replaced brake pads on uh, my front wheel on a 95 Cadillac mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and my bleeder valve, I couldn't get it open. I tried every kind of penetrating oil. Sometimes that happens. They freeze up. 
And so finally I wrung it off. Mm-hmm. And I had to drill it out and drill it out. And I wound up buying a yeah. new caliper. And I've switched to the other side, and I've got the same problem. I just hadn't rung it off yet. <laughs> is this a normal problem you run into a time back? Yeah, I mean, you figure out a car that old, 95. Yeah. I mean, those ports, I mean, the housing of the caliper is cast iron. The little valve, valve is steel. Uh-huh. You've got dissimilar metals. They sit in one position for years and years and years and years. Then you go to open it. And they just rust up, corrode up over time. Now, I'm, what, I'm really surprised we don't have more trouble than we do with them. Yeah, we don't see that a lot, but it does happen. It does I certainly happen. have seen it. And what happens, what really I think causes that, the brake fluid becomes corrosive after about three years. Uh-huh. And particularly if you don't drive the car a lot, that brake fluid gets real corrosive. And that bleeder screw where it sticks down into the caliper, where it seats, that uh-huh. rusts up. And when it rusts up, it can't go back out through those threads. So that's what caused them to break off. There are a number of things. Like I said, sometimes you can drill them out and get them out and do it. There's even a little oversized thing that will you can tap that hole to a larger size, screw it in, and it becomes a seat. So there's all kinds of ways they can be fixed. Normally, it's easier just to get a rebuilt caliper because they're not that expensive. And Hang a new caliper when they and... get them broke, they have the wherewithal to get them out, so they fix them. But, yeah, it's, it's usually easy just to change the calipers. And I think you called about this a couple of weeks ago about changing just the one. I have some one. And mm-hmm. like we said at that time, normally when one is bad, Al, the other one ain't going to be too far behind it. They've both been down the same exact road at the same age. so Same condition. That's why yeah. generally people change them in pairs. And it's not that it's going to hurt the car necessarily if you right. don't. It's just you're likely to have the same problem with the other side. Okay, so you, well, I, I tried drilling out and got one of those kits like you're talking about. Uh-huh. It, but it didn't lead to me like there's enough boss left on that. May uh, not be. And calipers yeah. aren't that expensive. I don't know. Something that old, you probably, what, 50, 60 bucks for a caliper? About that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it just it's not worth even any risk at all when you're talking about your brakes. You know, for fifty bucks, just okay. particularly well, you can do the work yourself. If you had, uh, if you had one of your tricks up, in well, the there's a number I mean, of things yeah. in a shop you can do. Like for instance, if it breaks off, a lot of times what we can do is put a nut on top of it and weld the nut oh, to right. the little thing, uh-huh. and then the process of welding heats it up, which kind of breaks it. And then I can put a wrench on that nut and back it out. Uh-huh. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do, but it's yeah. not really within the wherewithal of most do-it-yourselfers. Right. I think I'm going to go ahead and go harm another caliper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'd be the, the easiest. Bet. And, I mean, you got to figure, that thing's got a rubber seal in it. I mean, yeah. how, how tired is that seal after all those years? Yeah, well, I, uh, I've i had this car about 15 years, and I've never had the brakes worked on. And it's conceivable those things could have been in there 23 years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thank right you out. so much. Appreciate your help. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take our second quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar. And I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie. (laughs) 
I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And today we were talking about things that you could do to your vehicle to self-inflict. Self-inflict. Damage them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we briefly mentioned coolant. And that's one of the things that I see that coolant and doing the service properly, I've done a lot, a lot of research on because we get a lot of those kinds of problems. In. We do. And anytime I see a recurring problem, I'm not going to stop at just repairing it. I'm going to look at what's causing this problem and see what I can do to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And so I've done an inordinate amount of research on coolant and corrosion and all the different things. And there are large bodies of information out certain other industries deal with corrosion and they've done a lot of research so you can kind of piggyback on that in fact some of the best information i found was in nasa okay nasa has information on corrosion i guess because they're sending spacecraft into environments that who knows right and so they have done a tremendous amount of work on corrosion and what corrosion is on planet earth at least is a slow oxidation process i guess for lack of a better it's sort of like a burning process okay the metal is combining with oxygen which is the same thing happens when a piece of wood burns it combines with oxygen gives off heat and it's consumed in the process well a piece of iron or a piece of aluminum or whatever does similar in other words the aluminum in your radiator starts to combine with oxygen that gets in forms aluminum oxide but in so doing, it's consuming the aluminum the radiator just right. like it would a log on a fireplace burning. It's a slow process, but it's a burning process where the metal is being consumed. Mm-hmm. And certain things make this much, much worse. Now, what the engineers have done is what we call coolant. Some people improperly call antifreeze. Right. One of its functions is to prevent freezing. And sure. that is one side of the equation. A much bigger side is that it prevents corrosion right it's corrosion protection that's right back in the days when you had a cast iron engine with a cast iron cylinder head and a copper or brass radiator you still had problems with corrosion but but they weren't near as flaccid as they are today this is there was a lot of inactive metals there. sure cast iron is pretty inactive copper or uh, brass is pretty inactive it doesn't react a lot with different things Aluminum, by the other token, is a very light metal. That's why they use it. Mm-hmm. It's fairly easy to form into different shapes and stuff, so it's it's ideal for what they're doing it for. But it's a very active metal. It will react with oxygen very quickly. So the key is to use the coolant that has been designed to protect this piece right. of metal. And the other piece of metal, like, for instance, the, the heater core, is basically just like a little bitty radiator up under the dash. Sure keywords being up under the dash because when it starts leaking you're looking at a major 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 repair well sure you got to take everything out to the back of the firewall mm-hmm. and i don't know if you've ever seen yeah. the back of a firewall in yeah. an automobile not but a pretty sight if you're paying not. for it <laughs> it's definitely not if you're footing the bill for it it's definitely not a pretty sight because a lot of labor is involved to get to this thing the whole point is this can be prevented sure almost every cooling system problem that you see is self-inflicted few options there i mean you could have the bearing could go out in the water pump just because or maybe a hose blows out because it gets old but most of the cooling system problems are self-inflicted they're a combination of either neglect 
or improper service. Right. Now, by improper service, if you drained your cooling system, dump the wrong coolant in, and then fill it up with a garden hose, you have probably done more harm than if you just, just left it alone. Exactly. Because most cooling systems are going to require a distilled type water. And our city water is going to have chlorine, some cases fluorides, right, right. a lot of minerals, stuff in them that are not good for that cooling system. The next thing is it has to be pre-mixed in the proper proportion with the coolant. And that's normally going to be 50-50 mix. You don't dump one in and dump the other on top. It's not going to mix in the engine. Mm-hmm. In some engines, it will not mix. Right. Just because of the design of the engine, the coolant doesn't really flow. It simply rises and falls thermally. So if you dump the coolant in, it's heavier than the water. It's going to go to the bottom, and it's sitting there going around, and the water is going it's around the top. top. So it's corroding the devil out of everything above. The coolant, which ironically doesn't cool, the water cools. So you may be overheating your lower cylinders and all that. So the thing is, if you do the job improperly, you can create a much bigger problem than you'd have had if you just left it alone. Exactly. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Clay online. Good morning, Clay. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing wonderful, sir. Look, I have one technical question. Sure. The I have a 2001 Toyota mm-hmm. Tacoma, and the front oxygen sensor is bad. Okay. Is it a good procedure if I change the front to change the rear also? Is it a four-cylinder or a six-cylinder? Four-cylinder. Clay, you can change just the front on that because what the way that one works, the front one is setting the mixture, the fuel-air mixture, based on the amount of oxygen remaining in the exhaust. The second one is merely testing the catalytic converter. What it's doing is that when you're driving down the road, the computer says, okay, let's test the converter. It riches that mixture up just a little bit. The front sensor starts to sweep wildly back and forth. Then it looks at the downstream, and it wants it to stay still. If it both of them start to sweep at the same time, it knows the converter is ineffective, and so it's going to flag a check engine light. But the second one on that application is just a check sensor. So, no, you could change just the upstream. It wouldn't make any difference at all. Now, in some cases, let's say you had a V6, you had two of them side by side, and you had a lot of miles on it. You throw a new one on one side, you can create an imbalance from bank to bank. And it's wise to change both the upstreams at the same time, or maybe both the downstreams at, at the same time. You have a V-configured type engine with two banks. But on a four-cylinder where you only have one bank, front one's going to do all the work. The second one's just a check feature. So I wouldn't bother with changing the other one unless it, it had some problem or I had a thought that it had a problem. Well, I was just concerned being that they both had the same age mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, I know the, the front one is bad. The heater and everything. Yeah, heater element went out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, being that they were the same age, whether or not it was a good practice. But, hey, look, you you guys are in the know, so yeah. that's why I'm calling to ask. Yeah, you know, I don't – I'm kind of uh, funny, I guess, for an auto repair guy. I take, like, a minimalist approach. I want to fix the car right every time, but I don't want to throw parts at it or spend money I don't have to spend because that's money I could put towards something more useful be it taking a vacation or <laughs> or even doing something else on the car. I like to maximize. In other words, I'm looking for overall lowest cost. And if you said, hey, it's a V-type engine and it's got 250,000 miles, i say, yeah, I'll change both upstream at the same time. But if it's a four-cylinder, no, they both serve totally different functions. And frankly, the downstream one really doesn't do a whole lot other than check the converter. And if it goes bad, it's going to throw the light back on. It's no harder to come back and do it later. It's not like a big savings doing it now, so... Well, thank you, sir. Look, I love your program, and I listen to it every weekend. Well, great. We appreciate it. Look, have a good day. Thanks, Clay. Appreciate thank you. For, that, for the information. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's a good question. And yeah. a lot of times folks will get into a situation where 
they want to do the right thing. Right. Like Clay, you can just hear in his voice, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to take care of his car. And there are things you can do that do make a whole lot of sense. Other things, and he's wise to ask, because Toyota auctions are not inexpensive. If, no. If they're... you're buying one from Toyota, you could be anywhere from 150 to $300, just depending on the model and all that stuff. So you don't want to just throw money away. You want to spend your money where it is going to do the most good. Now, there are times when, let's say we're in and we are changing the water pump, and the belt on the car is pretty old. Well, yeah, let's put a belt on there. Well, yeah, the belt's got to come off anyway. It just doesn't make sense not to because there's a good deal of shared labor. It probably takes a half hour to 45 minutes to come back and change the belt. Right now, it's off anyway. Sure. So, yeah, no-brainer, just change the belt. You might want to even consider changing the thermostat if it's got a fair number number of miles on it because you drain the cooling system so you're kind of halfway there a lot of times when you drain a cooling system the oxygen enters the system it hits the old thermostat which has been in there for 10 15 years then it'll stick overheat the engine right cause you to blow a head gasket so yeah it's kind of a no-brainer there i mean a cheap thermostat is probably 10 bucks an expensive was 40 bucks not most not much labor on most vehicles right so yeah while you're there go ahead and change it but other things it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to to spend money if you can come back later and, and do, do it, it reasonably cheap just as easy yeah and it's not going to create another problem then you just soon wait and see what happens yeah, right i had a fellow that kind of got mad at me a few years ago and we were doing some brake work he had a honda and he had a lot of miles on it i mean two hundred thousand plus miles right and we changed the brake pads and the rotors and the calipers on it. And we looked at the master cylinder. It was working fine. It wasn't leaking. It was operating well. So we did not change it. Well, as luck would have it, about eight months later, the master cylinder starts bypassing and the pedal starts slowly sinking. And he comes in. He says, look, my master, why didn't you change it while you were in there? I said, because it wasn't bad when I was in there. Well, right. it's got 200,000 miles. So well, every part of your car has 200,000 miles. Right. You can't just change every part of the car Yeah, we don't there. just change every part that might fail. I mean, how about the window motors? They might go out tomorrow, too. You want me to change those just in case? Right. And after he thought about it a little bit, he says, oh, you're right. And he was okay. But initially, his reaction was to get mad because he had spent money, and now he's having a problem. And I understand that. But again, you got to remember when you have an older car like that, Every part of the car has a whole lot of miles on it. Sure. You, you there's nowhere to stop. You would basically change every part if you start doing maybes. So you got to balance out, okay, how hard is it to come back? Well, it's really no harder to come back and change it than it would have been to change it then. It really doesn't cost any more to do it later than it would have then. So it's not really a big savings to do it. And it's not going to mess up anything else. It's just going to be a secondary problem. Right. You're going to bleed the brake fluid again, which is probably a good idea. Good idea anyway. Right. And you know it's not that you want to take risk on things certainly but you have to draw the line somewhere because if not where do you stop you right. would change every every part of the car has two hundred thousand miles on every part of the car is 15 years old so yeah we've changed we change every part of the brakes but then the clutch goes out well that can happen sure but i can't just change the clutch when i'm changing the brake right <laughs> and you got to remember if you look at the shop side of that had i recommended the master cylinder and he says well no i don't want to do that and it not went out well then i'd have been a thief for trying to sell something sell he didn't need. need so you can't have it both ways now if you are just the kind of person who just absolutely wants everything done 
certain way, particularly if you can do the work yourself where it doesn't cost you that much and you want to change it while you're in there, hey, sure, why not? I mean, it's not going to hurt other than if you get a, a inferior cheap part. inferior part. But, I mean, if you're going back with the original equipment, Honda part, you're probably not going to have issues with that. Right. But I would rather have probably a Honda original equipment mouse cylinder with 200,000 miles. Than one of these new part out of the box Chinese yeah. knockoff master cylinder that's supposedly brand new. I think the odds of failure is probably higher on it yeah. than it is on the original. Yeah, we have seen that. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like stuff like alternators. We see people come in constantly and their battery's going dead and the light's on and they say, I just changed the alternator and, and I said, well, did the light go off when you changed it? Well, yeah, it went off for about a week, but then it came back on. Okay, we check and the alternator's bad. Right. Well, it's a brand new alternator. Well, I don't care. It's bad. And, you know, you, you go back and you put the original equipment Honda or Toyota part on there and you fix the problem. And right. now, you know, the first one lasted 250,000 miles. This one that you bought was $100 cheaper, but it only lasted 15 yeah, miles yeah. <laughs> or whatever. When you start calculating the cost of changing this stuff, which, you know, some alternators are pretty easy right, right. on top. Right on top. Chevy pickup, you right. know, 15 minutes. But, but there's some that are on the bottom, well, buried in the back. Nissan Altima or Maxima, it might right. be two, Take hours. three hour job to change this alternator. So you just. Guy, guy asked me the other day, we had a little Toyota come in, and I quoted price on He says, wow. He says, can't we go to a different guy? I said, well, you can. I said, but I'm this looking is, for the overall lowest cost. Sure. This one's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> hey, take our last little break. Be right back with more on Automotive Hour. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? 291-6901. Put you right in touch with us. That it will. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. We still have time to get your questions answered. Absolutely can. And you made a good point during the break. We were kind of talking about some of the self-inflicted things. One of the absolute worst things we see happen, most catastrophic People will go in sometimes and try to top off their brake fluid or whatever and accidentally add the wrong fluid to the brake. Right, because it ends up being power steering fluid because power steering fluid is normally clear, mm-hmm. and so is brake fluid. So they kind of get And mixed the bottles up. look very similar. The bottles are very close. So you, you definitely have to read what's in the bottle and make sure that the seal is still on it before you add it to your brake fluid. Yeah, because you dump power steering fluid into a brake system, and you almost instantly wipe out every piece of rubber in that system right first thing that goes is a master cylinder but that fluid moves around in the system it's going to permeate down through and it's there. going to be at the bottom of the system before too much longer and well it's heavier that, than brake fluid so it's going to settle down 
when it gets into the bottom, the seals are going to swell up and it's going to start leaking. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell you, if you go in and start changing parts, you change the mouth cylinder and leave it down below that. As soon as it sucks in and out, it's going to bring gonna it right back, it back up. New mouth cylinder's out again. Right. And on and on and on you go. Let's go back to our phone lines with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Does changing my rotors and putting slotted and drilled rotors make any difference? Costs I, more money. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't no, seen it. It's not going to help with any kind of thing that you would do in normal driving. Where slotted and drilled and racing applications, and I'm talking extreme racing applications, what can happen with a pad? If it gets hot enough, it starts to gas, and there's gas starts to come out of that pad which they claim can diminish braking somewhat, and that's where the cross-drilling allows that gas to escape. In normal driving, it is not going to do one bit of good. I find, it, if anything, it harms it because you're taking surface away from the rotor that it used to use to brake. It really doesn't stop the shaking or shimming or shuddering from warped rotors. The best thing you can do, Paul, is to put a new set of rotors on there whenever you just regular rotors on there and put a set of OEM, original equipment factory pads, back on it. Make sure all the caliper slides are good and clean and working properly, and you probably won't ever have any trouble at all, and it'll cost you less okay. money. All right. Thank you very much. Hi, right, Paul. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Yeah, we see those a lot. People we do. have a problem, and they'll try. But you got to remember, your car has a problem. They make millions of these cars. Most people do not have this problem. So something is wrong with your car. Mm-hmm. You don't fix that by going away from what the engineer designed. If he wanted slotted and cross-drill rotors, he'd, he'd put, put them, them on there, there to start with. Right. The thing is, when you start slotting and cross-drilling the surface of a rotor, you're diminishing the braking area, for one sure. thing. It's one of those things that has an application, but the application is extreme driving under racing conditions where you don't care how long the pads last or anything else. And usually when you go to that type of rotor, the pad that is recommended to go with it is a very hard, very aggressive pad. Right. And it's made for stopping under extreme conditions, which you're not driving under. One of those things we've said a million times on Automotive Hour, you know, just because some's good doesn't mean more is better. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If 5W30 is good, it doesn't mean 1030 is better. And it certainly doesn't mean 1550 or whatever is better still. Mm -hmm. It's not like that. It's the right one in the right proportions. And we were talking a little bit about coolant before, and I've seen people will go in and they say, well, if 50-50 is good, then 60-40 must be better. So no, it's it not. Way. It's really not. It's 50-50 because the coolant protects from freezing, protects from corrosion, but it does not cool. The water cools. So when you put more coolant in relation to the water, you can you take a, you theoretically get coolant. into an overheat situation. Right. Now, I mean, if you live in Antarctica where it is – 40 below zero all the mix. time well yeah you might go right 60 40 mix. or even 70 30 because overheating is never going to be a problem right it's never going to get hot enough to overheat. it's going to be a freezing issue but i had a fellow ask me one time well suppose i just put pure coolant in there i said well the engine will probably overheat mm-hmm. what do you mean i said coolant protects from corrosion protects from freezing but it does not cool the engine the, the, the water. water does the cooling right and the same thing with putting pure water it may cool very well, but it's going to corrode away, and you're not going to have anything to work with because you can have a bunch of pieces of corroded-up metal. <laughs> and once corrosion starts, what happens is that it starts to get worse and worse. You can end up with what they call electrolysis, where the car becomes like a big battery. Sure. And it's consuming the metal in the car. Not only that, but aluminum oxide, which is produced in the corrosion process, is a abrasive. Right. Just turn over any piece of sandpaper. Yeah, look, look on, on a back. piece of sandpaper and it says aluminum oxide. That's what they're using as an abrasive. This abrasive is circulating around in this system through all these little fins and 
well, cotton, cotton seals and all these little cores and stuff, and it's wearing them out from the inside and corroding them. So you really got a double whammy. Right. I mean, and that water is going through that heater core. It's wrapped back and forth, so it's making 180-degree turns every time it goes. And when water hits that turn, that corrosive just kind of digs into that corner. Just eats, just like, and it just leaves like it away. The, bank, the banks of the river. Right. It leaves Where it away. Where the bend is in the river, it just keeps eating away. And what makes it even worse is as the corrosion forms, it starts to dislodge other things. It starts to plug these little pores up inside this, or little uh, openings inside these cores. Well, when you got some of them plugged, some of them open, and the water pumps still turn the same speed, the velocity in the ones that are open is even greater than right. it would be where they're all open. So it's traveling faster than it's designed to travel. It's got an abrasive in it. It's anyway that much faster. Yeah, it just eats it right away. We get this a lot of times where people will come in and they'll say, where can I get a good heater core? I said, well, what do you mean, get a good heater core? Well, I've changed this thing three times. It keeps going out. I said, well, you're not getting to the problem. Right. You're, you're just, treating the symptom. Exactly. You're, you're changing the heater core, but you're not getting the abrasives and corrosions out of the system. Right. That core went out for a reason. The first one went out. It failed for a reason. They don't just fail. Mm-hmm. And if you don't address the reasons why, you could be doing it over again. If you have a bad ground somewhere in your car and you're producing electrolysis in the cooling system, it can eat a heater core up in maybe a month's time. Sure. A brand new one will eat up in a month's time. Same thing with radiator. Now, I say heater cores because they're smaller, so they tend they to, tend to go out first. Go out faster. The radiator is spreading it over a much wider area. has maybe 10 times the surface area of a heater core. Sure. So it may take 10 times as long, but the same thing is happening there as well. Well, and, and most, you know, most people will just go ahead and block that heater core off, and mm-hmm. then they start eating radiators up. Right. Then the radiators start going out. And you have to get to the root cause. Sure. You have to get all this out. And the initial root cause was someone serviced the cooling system improperly. With the wrong. They put either the wrong coolant. They put city water in it. They got the process going. Now, once corrosion is established, it's much, much more difficult to treat than it if is to prevent. It, right. Had you done it initially correctly, you could have prevented all this. You wouldn't be here right now. Sure. So instead of buying a radiator and two heater cores plus the labor plus the aggravation, maybe you end up selling the car. And it can even happen at the cylinder heads. It can happen at the intake manifolds. All this stuff is aluminum. It starts to eat all that up. So money just starts flying out of your hands real, real real quick. (laughs) For a problem that you may have caused. Self-inflicted injury here. And that's one of the reasons why the manufacturers now recommend less maintenance than they used to. It's because they're scared. If you do the maintenance wrong, you're probably going to create more problems than you had before. And that's all well and good, except when you get to 100,000 miles where the car hadn't been maintained, you got to throw it away, which also plays into their plan because they want to save your car anyway. Yeah, that's what cars are designed for nowadays. Right. If you can afford to buy a new car, drive it 100,000 miles, throw it away, then that's fine. Don't do anything. Don't do anything at all. drive it like it is. I can't do that. So the thing is, if you do maintenance, you're going to extend the life of the car. If you do it properly, properly. you're going to greatly extend the life of the car, and you're going to avoid all these collateral issues that we've been talking about for the last hour. Exactly. <laughs> been ambling on about for the last hour. <laughs> hey, and I see we're just about out of time. That was just a touch of the things that could go wrong. Oh, absolutely. You could go on and on and on. could probably do a month's worth of shows on just <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> hey, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for us. That's right. We sure appreciate when you give us a written review because it moves us up in the rankings where when people type in auto repair, our name comes up close to the top of the list. 
more people listen so we can that's where we want to be <laughs> that's right hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend